1: Although it probably sounds like <laughs> so, maybe maybe that was not communicated clearly on Ball Three.
0: Bring him to the places where there's actually a chance of games being played, i.e., the big leagues. Right. <laughs> you want to believe,
1: and I want to believe. Let's all believe really hard, Josh. Done. All right, we believe in. <laughs> and welcome to episode number 138 of Artificial Turf Wars, where we believe if bats weren't for flipping, they would be made of glass. I'm your host Greg Wisniewski and I'm joined as always by Joshua Houseman. Josh, how goes it? Pretty good. And you? Ah, uh, pretty pretty good. Uh, we are looking at a week where we can report on Blue Jays being successful. Uh, we're going to talk about Freddie Galvis being successful and Justin Smoke having more success, and uh, the whole team, despite Teoscar Hernandez literally walking into an out, <laughs> still being successful in Minnesota. Uh, we're going to go over the starting rotation. Uh, some continue to be great. Uh, one is faltering a little bit. Uh, we had some uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. news, and then we didn't. So I guess we have to talk about the fact that there's no news. We have, of course, your questions. And we have a do-over because uh, Major League Baseball doesn't understand how punishment and suspensions work for pitchers. <laughs> I don't know how they don't know that. <laughs> but we shall begin. Uh, Blue Jays won three of four in Minnesota, and I don't think we should talk about anything that happened before that. I'm okay with it. <laughs> okay. So yeah, three out of four, boom. They were, they were three and one on the week. I'm pretty satisfied with that outcome.
0: they won a series a four game series which you know against a team that's not bad on the road yeah in minnesota which the jays actually i guess have played decently there in the past but that's completely meaningless because the team is totally different
1: (laughs) i was gonna say that's when i thought about them going into minnesota i actually was a little bit sad that i would not get to watch jose Bautista and edwin encarnacion and josh Donaldson go at the outfield fences in minnesota i was like man this is this is not you know this is why those statistics are meaningless about this team does well here because those were the guys but apparently yep. th- these guys don't have a problem with the place
0: <laughs> well at least not not this season
1: no and, They're done and there's, there. there's only one trip so yep. hey now we know so freddie galvis tell me a tale of freddie galvis
0: well he's on pace for 41 home runs <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, look, we've talked about Freddie Galvis's defensive reputation, and I think I've probably mused about how much fun it is watching him throw the baseball to first base, which he did it again late in the game that closed out the win, going into the hole, soft throw, right on the money. It's just every time. But he's hitting, and hitting way better than he's ever hit in the major leagues, which is fun while it's happening, I guess is the way to put it. It, it is quite
1: remarkable because he has not walked by any appreciable amount. He doesn't strike out as much as many, many other people on this team, which isn't to say he doesn't strike out a fair amount. Uh, he's like 21.8% strikeout rate. Um, but things have definitely been going Freddie's way. And the power, wow, where did that come
0: from? See, the power is actually always sort of been no, not 40 home runs.
1: <laughs> I was going to say.
0: <laughs> but he has had a season where he hit. 20 home runs so there there is pop there and but when you look at some of the the indicators i mean he's making contact less than he's ever made contact
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and uh you know his strikeout and walk rates are pretty much what they've always been and he's swinging is swinging and missing more than ever so there's a lot of regression coming here <laughs> and you know, it's still like you said, it's still better on some of those rates than other players on this team, but you know, it's it's nice that other players are potentially starting to pick it up a bit because, you know, this like I said, it's been really great, but it's not lasting.
1: Well, there's no way the Freddie Galva show was gonna take this team anywhere, even, you know, in a best case scenario. That that's it's just not the guy who's gonna carry you through a season and get you, I don't know, to the wild card or anything else if we're imagining that in our wildest dreams. So uh, but I mean, good on him for for being able to maintain his uh, his success so far and and continuing to be excellent defensively. I think uh, those two ingredients together are unique on the Blue Jays. Really, that that uh, you know we don't have a guy who who is you know on both sides of the ball at the moment doing fantastic things.
0: No, and you know and it's, it's interesting you mentioned that specifically. I mean, that's why Lourdes Gurriel was sent down is he couldn't throw the ball from second base to first base. You know, I
1: think we noticed that pretty much in the first week that something was off, and we we talked about it on the podcast.
0: Like we did, yeah. And and you know, obviously the team agrees, right? They you know they sent him down for more more mental conditioning than anything else, just to get away from the club and just get back to doing what he's used to doing. But, yeah. You know, but like you said, like it just makes what Galvis brings on the defensive side so. I guess jarring. You really don't want good defense to be jarring. You kind of <laughs> want it to be the other way around. <laughs> but we haven't seen much in the way of infield defense on this club in the last couple of years.
1: No, not at all, not at all. So, yeah, kudos. Um, the other guy, I suppose, we should mention is, is Justin Smoke, who is somehow already up to three home runs. I feel like I feel like that's a good week right there. <laughs> Just to come yeah. into line, and he continues to walk more than he strikes out, which is a rare, rare, rare thing in baseball these days, well,
0: and especially for someone who has as much swing and missing in his game as Justin Smoke has had in his career, this is one of the interesting things with him though, because you know smoke's renaissance as a hitter for you know lack of a better way to put it came with an increased ability to wait on pitches and take walks, you know he set career highs and walks each of the last two seasons and I think that that is something real. I mean, like I said, it's two seasons worth of data. And he made some changes to his swing, which we outlined on a piece on BP Toronto back when that existed. (laughs) Some changes to his approach. Yeah, exactly. His approach specifically that allowed him to wait just a bit longer. And I think it's turned him into this guy who can, you know, he's not going to be a 420 on base guy like right now, but a guy who you can count on to get on base and hit for some power.
1: And that's a, a, obviously an extremely valuable guy to have in a modern lineup, um, because it, it is tough to find a player who uh, has a high OBP if, if he's not Mike Trout or Joey Votto. Um, those, you know, there is a lot of selling out for power that's gone on in this in this uh, modern era of the game, because apparently the baseball's juiced again.
0: Yeah, we'll get to that a bit later, but yeah, you know, with Smoke, it's interesting because. You know, as we've mentioned, and everybody's aware, he is a pending free agent. And you know, when it comes to his role here, it's kind of tougher to figure out because you know there's not really a first baseman that's necessarily needs to be here. I mean, there's guys like Cavan Biggio and Rowdy Tellez who probably play some first base or DH, but they're not like knocking him down the door, so. There might even be a chance that he's a guy they might want to keep around.
1: And, I mean, it's going to be tough to keep him at a decent price, which is, of course, a concern of the teams as well. But, I mean, it's a good problem to have is a guy who, you know, is comfortable here, uh, knows the place, and and had his, you know, his career do a big uptick here, whereas a lot of other places he played, Justin Smoke, I'm sure, was a very frustrated baseball player.
0: Oh, for sure and so uh, I don't know, so like it will be interesting to see how that plays out with him
1: so you want to talk about some of the weird stuff that actually happened in minnesota um
0: yes i think we should probably do that
1: okay so uh was it brandon drury who was unable to count to four properly
0: uh well he was one of the two guys who was unable to guess
1: <laughs> so okay so counts two and two ball three is delivered Brandon Drury with Teoscar Hernandez on first base unstraps his armor from his arm and his leg or whatever else he wears and starts to walk slowly towards first probably gets three or four steps down and Teoscar Hernandez after initially going back to first base sees him doing all of that doesn't hear anybody else doing anything and decides oh I better get to second base and takes a couple of steps off and is immediately picked off by the pitcher and the first baseman who realize, hey, ball's still live, and that was ball three. Um, I feel like the 2015 Blue Jays never make a mistake that even comes close to resembling that.
0: Well, I feel like most iterations of the Blue Jays never make a mistake that comes close to that one. That was pretty bad. <laughs> can't remember the last time I've seen that, if I've seen it, where... You know, like one guy forgets how many you see guys go down to first every now and then on ball three, but did you do you usually see the runner also get fooled by it. I,
1: I think Drury just sold it so well that Hernandez, you know, I, I, it is on him to stay on the base till he's a hundred percent sure checking the scoreboard and everything else. But at at the same time, I think his brain just went, Oh, oh that he walked. I better get to second. Like just <laughs> sad but true.
0: Yeah, it was <laughs> it was unfortunate. And then to ask you get all the blame from the manager from Montoya at the end of the game, which is I thought was a little bit unfair.
1: Yeah, I think it's unfair as well. I I think, you know, there's sort of a flow of of the game and, and there's some responsibility there. But surely Drury needs to listen for ball four or uh, take your base, which I, you know, but generally umpires are supposed to say that. I don't know how many MLB umpires actually do. Um but you're supposed to say, you know, that they count out loud and instruct the player what to do. Same as when he when takes strike three. He says, strike three, you're out. Although it probably sounds like, you're out. <laughs> so <laughs> maybe, maybe that was not communicated clearly on ball three.
0: I think it was Jim Joyce who had the worst one. It's like, <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> it was call strikes. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's just all these, you know, like we are talking about last time with all these 3-2 counts. Drury just thought he was in one, even though it was, what, 3-1 and one that made it? 2-2. Two and two.
1: It was 2-2, two and two and it made it 3-2. and two.
0: Okay, so there you go. He just assumed he was in a 3-2 count.
1: Yep. Uh, now, Teoscar Hernandez redeemed himself by hitting a three-run bomb to, I believe, in the next inning, or his next plate appearance, uh, to put the Blue Jays ahead, which, the fact that he still got crap from Montoyo is a little, I'm sad now.
0: Well, I mean, th- he got asked, the-, the reporters asked him the question about who's to blame there. So he had to answer it. It wasn't like he was just <laughs> picking on. <laughs> um. So Jay Oscar Hernandez, with all
1: of that, has brought himself up to almost an average offensive player for his position. So we're trending in the right direction. Despite the absurdity.
0: Uh, you still there? Yeah, so it just sound like you're still talking. So- <laughs> yeah,
1: no, I was thinking the Blue Jays. Have a penchant for losing one-run games. If you keep track of such things, they managed to do the opposite in Minnesota in a situation where it looked very much like they were about to throw a one-run game away.
0: They sure did. How many times? Didn't work out that way. How many times have, have you, in recent memory,
1: can you remember the Jays actually cutting down the tying run at the plate in a, like in a late inning situation?
0: uh i mean like this is another one i'm sure it's happened because like, it, it it does but it, it it's not a common occurrence especially because the jays have had some since bautista left especially some poorer throwing outfielders
1: yeah i i was thinking it's been a while as well i can remember uh there was a disputed call in boston a couple of years ago where they should have probably got that on a replay and did not um you know i i can remember a couple of times but really uh, that's that's kind of the excitement I think that is missing when you have subpar outfield arms, and you don't think about it until, you know, that there is just isn't a throw that's anywhere close.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's true. I mean, the jersey have had guys who could throw; just the accuracy was definitely the problem.
1: Yeah. So uh, that you know, that's the kind of drama I think you want. Um, you know, come from behind stuff, uh, close place at the plate stuff. It it makes a team that is. You know, eminently going nowhere, as we still believe. I think uh, much more watchable.
0: Yeah, I mean, th- like you said, this is why we watch, right? We want to be entertained. We want, you know, we want the thrill of a of a close ball game, and that's what this was. So, yeah, it's <laughs> it's nice.
1: I will attempt to segue. The ball games have been close because of the biggest surprise of the Blue Jays' young season: the starting rotation
0: yeah i uh, who saw that coming <laughs> no actually you know what we kind of did we did like we, when we did our 25 and a half in 50 ish we talked up some of these pitchers. i mean like shoemaker who has been dynamite i was really high on and then there was always the upside of a sanchez and strowman
1: yeah there, there was always that if on sanchez and strowman i think and I, I perhaps personally, maybe because I'm, you know, it's, it's been a bit of a rough go the last year and a bit, uh, for the Blue Jays, my imagination that both Sanchez and Stroman would continue to be, uh, above average at the same time was, I, I wasn't giving them proper credit that they, you know, independently they could both be good and not, not have to be like two ends of the same teeter-totter, um. So, yeah, I mean, they've been where you need them to be. They're, they both have an ERA under three, four starts in. Um, Sanchez is probably walking too many guys. Uh, Strowman finally had the Blue Jays score run for him, which was nice.
0: <laughs> Still didn't get the win. Uh, one of the things, so I so want to talk about both of them just very sh- briefly individually, because one of the very interesting things that Strowman is doing, for the first time ever, he's throwing more breaking balls than sinkers. He's 37.6% slider is his highest usage of a pitch. And then, you know, like the sinker is 35% and then 17.8% cutter. So he's not just like the sinker, 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 sinker guy that he has been in some of his poorer seasons. And I don't know if that's a trend that's going to hold. It's obviously, you know, it's not exactly a big sample size of what's it, four starts now, yes. but it's certainly intriguing.
1: And it has not affected his ability to get ground balls.
0: No, I mean, all those pitches are still breaking downward. So he's not throwing the four-seamer at all. But I don't know. I think it's interesting to see this because, you know, we've talked about how with his profile, you know, that Marcus Stroman was just extremely prone to the, you know, the ebbs and flows of luck because of all the balls in play. Mm -hmm. And then this year, you know, he's out there nearly going and he's up to strikeout rate to the point where he's got 23 strikeouts and 22 and two-third.
1: So, yeah, if, if you get a guy, you know, striking out one and a half, two times as many people as he has in some of his other seasons, hmm, is, you know, and and this is a game where good pitchers strike a lot of people out. We know that.
0: Yeah. And, and you know, we talked about this as well in the past, like Sanchez, Sanchez, sorry, Stroman, just permanently like... Uh, <laughs> <clears throat> sorry, he's, a, you know, he's had this... Issue where he just didn't put away hitters. He'd get to two strikes and then throw the sinker and get a ball that goes through a hole or goes for an out. But now with the increase in the harder breaking balls, that could that should lead to this increase in strikeouts. So I think this is if he keeps this pattern, it's at least potentially sustainable.
1: Is what Aaron Sanchez is doing sustainable? Because he is he's back up to walking the number of guys, which we we probably should accept that he's going to walk. Um, is he striking enough guys out? Is he getting enough? To, to keep going
0: yeah so what we're seeing from sanchez is similar to what we've seen from him in in the past where you know he's walking a lot of guys but limiting good contact so like what ha- what hurt him in the last couple of years was that you know he was walking people and giving up bombs whereas this year he's not doing that he, he's also striking out more batters so you know i, I think we're sort of seeing what could be the evolution of Sanchez, this version that throws three different pitches, you know, with the, with the fastball, the sinker, the curve and the changeup, And I guess he throws a four seam as well, but keeping enough off balance and getting enough swings and misses that his walk rates aren't as damaging.
1: Remarkably, even though he's striking out more people than in the past, he still has the fourth lowest walk rate of any Blue Jays pitcher who's thrown a pitch this year. Yeah, right. Four strikeout rate. That's what I'm trying to say. I was going to say, that, no, 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 that doesn't the, sound right. No. Yeah, the
0: Blue Jays lead the majors in the strikeouts.
1: Yeah. There's an insane amount of plus 30% strikeout folks up there. Um, but, we, I mean, Trent Thornton was one of those people. Hasn't been going <laughs> just as well for him lately.
0: No, it certainly has not. <laughs> um, you know, that game against Tampa, everything he threw is getting hit out of the park, which, you know, when you throw a straight four seamers, that will happen occasionally uh but you know one of the issues is that well i can't remember who brought this up you know when he was in the minors he was he was pitching on longer rest every time Mm -hmm. and his first two times out were on regular rest and then his second his third his third time out when he was struggled was on extremely long rest and then he was back on four days rest and he got struggled again so i don't know if it's the inconsistency in his rest pattern or if it's him needing more or less time, or just a fluky nature of baseball because he's still getting string swinging strikes in these games. That you know, it's just really tough to predict what's going to happen with a guy like this. Um,
1: yeah, and I mean, it's not like the Blue Jays are going to suddenly, uh, not. I mean, the substitution in the rotation was not going to be Trent Thornton, even if he had a rough go, obviously. Uh, so that's you know, Clay Buckwall's job, um, to lose, uh, you know, as, as he healed up. So I think we're going to see more of Trent until. Until we can't bear the thought of him anymore, or until things equalize out,
0: I don't know if I agree with that. Actually, I think that Buckholz would be ahead of Thornton in the de- in the depth chart.
1: Sorry, I meant that Buckholz coming up wasn't going to 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 boot. Uh, oh, to anybody. boot Thornton. Oh, yeah, because
0: yeah. that was that was the Panone Reed Foley magic. Um, <laughs> magic. So they don't need a fifth starter again until May fourth, though. So we could definitely see some appearances out of the pen for Thornton. I thought they would actually send him down when they called up. You know, we're going to get to this, obviously, but when they called to pair up, I thought it would just be Thornton down to just keep pitching on a regular turn in the minors, but they didn't do that.
1: No, instead, they uh, DFA'd uh, Javy Guerra, Javy, Javi, Javy. <laughs> <laughs> they he was in nine games, um, but obviously wasn't uh, everything the Blue Jays dreamed he was going to be out of the bullpen.
0: Well, <laughs> yeah, I, I guess not. I mean, you know, Javier Guerrero is like he's been around. We've talked about this before. He's not he's not a youngster. He's 35 or something. I don't know, 33, but he's never had success. And he's given he gave up six runs in those nine innings, nine outings. So I don't know. Like, I, I think that it was a reasonable DFA. It's not like he's part of a future. Right. And Teper is. I mean, Teper is the guy that was supposed to be the eighth inning pitcher coming into this offseason.
1: But he's clearly, uh, because of his absence, it looks like he may have ceded that role to Joe Biagini for at least a little while until Joe Biagini has a, you know, a stretch where he hasn't been awesome like he has been.
0: Yeah. And, you know, before we were talking off air, Greg, you pointed out some reasons why this is not sustainable. Do you want to just go over them quickly?
1: <laughs> uh, Joe, Joe Biagini's batting average on balls in play, which usually works out, you know, in the long run around three hundred for most pitchers, uh, is one eighty-two, which means uh, the balls are not dropping. And uh, also, uh, his strand rate for runners uh, is ninety-six point eight percent, which I believe is is normalized to somewhere around seventy-two percent if you know if you had a million at bats against a pitcher. Um, so he's, he is you know somewhat lucky certainly going going forward um it's not all luck necessarily but it, it certainly made him look nice and shiny
0: yeah i mean it, it's certainly true that there's as you mentioned there's some of these things that are leading to negative regression but there are also other ones too like his home run per fly ball rate is currently 33 <laughs> percent which is insane i mean the, the league average is around 10 to 12 percent he's been 14 percent for his career so his home runs allowed will go down and, you know, part of what's leading to some of this strand success again, like it's not going to be <laughs> the levels that you mentioned are just not sustainable, but he's increased his strikeout rate to easily the highest of his career. And he's doing it because he's turned himself into a fastball slider pitcher, which you know, we've talked about that a couple times, but I think it's worth repeating because you know, like a 95 and a slider is a useful major league reliever. And, you know, as opposed to that lollipop curveball that he throws that comes out of the different arm angles. So. And he's got to change up as a weapon against lefties. So I think that this version of Biagini could actually be a very good bullpen weapon with numbers regressing in both directions.
1: <laughs> we'll just have to see how it comes out in the wash. Um, Yeah. Who else did I have on here? On my... Let's go back to the note. I, th- I think that was that was everybody in the bullpen. I mean, Ken Giles, we talked we were talking before this about whether we were gonna highlight Ken Giles, but mostly he's been excellent, but that's kind of the reason why he's he was brought in as the Blue Jays closer and really hasn't been any question about whether he was going to be the Blue Jays closer or not, is because you kind of expect him to be excellent.
0: Yeah, last year was just a weird one. I mean he's been an elite reliever or he I should say he was an elite reliever for the four previous years, and just last year things went backwards and now it looks like they're mostly back to normal
1: and he strikes out a ton of guys more than anybody else on the team um so the fact that he he does walk some guys is really not nearly the issue it would be were he not uh throwing 98 and whiffing people like crazy
0: yeah and his walk rate is you know higher than normal it's again like it's, we're, we're throwing all these stats out it's like you know with their 10 games to 20 games into the season <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah um, but they are what they are at this point
0: last year he had an abnormally low walk rate which was you know not m- more really in line with his career he's usually run like three to three and a half walks per nine i know walks per nine is worse than walk percentage but i don't have that in front of me at the moment <laughs> but basically like I, I, a decent control you know not great not bad guy but with power and strikeouts so you know that's a pretty useful weapon
1: <laughs> yeah i mean that's a guy you're going to trust with the ninth inning until he demonstrates that something something has broken right um he was yeah a, yeah he's closer in houston he's gonna be a
0: closer here and, and which one thing too we were talking about all these walk rates being higher for a lot of people they're actually up across baseball right now which you know that's it's it's early again but you know with the increase in we we're talking about the three the three two counts and everything like the work the walk rates are spiking and it'd be interesting to see if that's systemic and because of approaches with these high fastballs or if it's early season fluke so i think that's gonna be something to watch
1: all right, so uh, lastly, we should did we really talk about Ryan Tepera's... What, what role is he actually going to have? Do you think he gets the seventh inning now in, in, in most situations?
0: I think at least in the early going. I think Biagini's earned the trust as the setup guy, and then Tepera will be you know, the, the guy that they go to instead of Javi Guerrero or Daniel Hudson.
1: <laughs> All right, we thought we were going to have this podcast to report some Vlad Guerrero Jr. news. Uh, that one was courtesy of now. Was it Hector Gomez? Yes, it was. Yes. Hector Gomez. He said, Hey, he's coming up for, uh, the home series against the giants
0: starting Tuesday. Yes.
1: Yes. And then immediately all of the blue Jays beat writers took about a half hour and went, yeah, don't hold your breath on that.
0: Yeah, that was, it was, it was nice. while it lasted, um, so this is one of the weird things i don't know what the blue jays are doing it's like the forecast in buffalo all weekend was rain and then guess what they've been rained out and it's supposed to rain again saturday and again sunday if the whole point is to get him at bats and keep him active bring to you know to make sure that he's ready bring him to the places where there's actually a chance of games being played i.e., the big leagues Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know, he's destroying Triple A in the early going. So, it's not like he's, you know, you talked about him getting hot. Well, he's hitting what, 427 or something like that. Yeah. It's
1: it's
0: he's n- he's never going
1: to have problems hitting. It's it's just ridiculous that they even talk like he's going to have them. That's not I mean, maybe in the majors he'll find his match somewhere, but he's not going to have any problems hitting in the minors, and we've established that over the past 2 years.
0: And they actually don't talk about having troubles hitting. They talk about these other things. But, you know, you can't work on your defense and your base running if you don't play. And when you do, everything you hit goes over the fence. Yep. So, I don't know. He should be up. Like, that. it's kind of crazy that he's not up right now, but he should be up by Tuesday. And no, apparently he won't be, which is just dumb.
1: Uh, barring an injury. Now, th- this is also a team that is carrying a bench player in Socrates Brito, who is 0 for 23.
0: Yeah, that's not really affecting Vlad because he's the fourth outfielder. Yeah, more... I, I know it's
1: not affecting, but you know what I mean? Like, you just look at the situation, and you're like, so you can afford to carry Elvis Luciano, who has pitched five times and is a Rule 5 pick, and you can afford to carry Socrates Brito, and you can afford to have Brandon Drury striking out more than anybody else in the major leagues, but we better hold off a few more days on calling up our superstar play- I don't get it. Well, actually,
0: it. honestly, that thing th- that suggests that those two things make sense together to, in me to me because it's like, well, we don't care if we lose the games; we just want to make sure the guy is ready.
1: I, I would like to know the not ready part of him.
0: Well, yeah, I mean that's the whole thing that everyone. <laughs> the thing is now there's no reason not to bring him up, which is why this is confusing. Like the service time games are over; yep. they've gained the extra year of service just by the major of him being hurt. That date is passed. Yep. So why is he still down? I I don't actually understand this, the answer to that question, because if we just assumed it was all just nonsense to keep him down, well, then he should be up. And, you know, is he not healed enough yet? I I don't know the answer. And I don't think there will ever get a good answer to that.
1: No, everything has been vague enough uh, uh, from, from that point forward that I think you're absolutely right. That's just going to be, it's going to be one of the great mysteries that'll be forgotten when he's, you know, 10 years into his blue Jays career yeah Uh, okay so that uh, brings us to the uh weekly recap we do have a do-over and your questions coming up in uh just a a few minutes we're gonna breathe in and breathe out and uh, then we're gonna come back and all that breathing has done me a world of good i'll tell you which means we're back and we are 100% ready to answer your questions.
0: And still alive. Time now
1: to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly. Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question.
0: How does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please?
1: Sometimes I do a little dance while that thing plays.
0: <laughs>
1: our, our first question is from Brian Donnelly. Um... And and it pairs up with another question. So, uh, what is more awkward, promo night, Guriel in AAA on his bobblehead night, or the grilly apron from shortly after he was dealt? Um, and Zach Meyer at Zach B Meyer also asked, "Will the Guriel Junior bobblehead be in the Bison's uniform on Wednesday?"
0: Well, as you uh, alluded to, just while we we're looking at these quickly off the air, the grilly apron one was not after he was dealt. It was a couple weeks before. It was on Father's Day in 2018 2017 which would have been june 18th yes and he and he was dealt in july
1: so july luckily, 2nd so clearly which one is more um embarrassing is the one upcoming also uh if you would like to paint uh bobblehead jerseys um you can email uh desperate painting guriel at um bluejays.com <laughs> and they're having a whole bunch of people get together in the stadium and just uh, brush them. No, oh, they're not doing that. I'm...
0: You should have said not BlueJays.com. People might have thought it was a real thing. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, he's going to be in the Bison's uniform, and, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of ugly. I mean, I, I think he has to be, right? I don't think it'll, be a ben- it'll have been 10 days by the time no, he's that asking, comes They're along.
1: asking if the, the, the actual bobblehead will be in the Bison's uniform.
0: Oh, <laughs> that's much better. Oh, that's good. Yeah, uh, that'd be funny. It's like, quick, we need, we need to iron on this. Anyway,
1: Matt Sweeby at Bluejay Matt, uh, our patron, as, uh Thornton has had two good starts followed by two bad ones. Is this the league adjusting to him? What do you expect going forwards from him? So we did touch on is this league, you know, what's going on with him a little bit, but I, I guess we didn't really say what happens next um does he get demoted to try and get more regular work do you think
0: um i don't know i think if he was going to then that probably would have happened already mhm uh it's uh you know it's like this thing with this with answering this question is it's hard to say you know he faced better offenses the second <laughs> in in his second set of starts than he did in the first one and you know, it's like he had bad command in the Tampa start. He was throwing those fastballs down the middle, and he was walking more people than usual against Minnesota. So I think it's just way too early still to answer this question. Tough but fair.
1: What do we got next?
0: Okay, so next, this one comes from Colleen Evans at Colleen Evans 6. With the early struggles of Boston and New York, do you think there's a chance the Jays get more aggressive with their rebuild?
1: Uh, if you mean this year with the rebuild, no, I don't think any changes this year. I think this year is the the plan is to sort of put a bunch of pieces in place and and let them play without too much pressure. If it was going to be like a 2021 thing, uh, again, I don't. I think a lot of things that are happening to to Boston seem to be fluky, and those guys who are injured on the Yankees are probably going to get healthy again, other than Troy Tulowitzki, who. I'm sure will take forever to get back on the field because it's just personal with me. Um, Yeah.
0: (laughs) um, (laughs) Um, yeah, It is too low. But I I don't know if I fully agree about the risks associated with those two teams. I mean, yeah, Boston should be better than they are. But, you know, there are problems there and they did start horribly and the Yankees injuries issues do not seem light. I mean, Severino, who knows when he's going to be back? Same with Botansis, and you know they just keep having guys go on the IL. That said, I agree that I don't see it changing the way the Jays operate this year. I mean, they're you know, the Jays still have a losing record. <laughs> you know, it's like it's not like the Jays are out there winning. You know, like you know, with a six sixty seven winning percentage, while these other two teams are struggling. I think if any team's going to change how they would do things because of it, it'll be Tampa.
1: Yeah, I think that's the uh, little bit of an elephant in the room lately with Tampa being a consistently good baseball team, no matter who they seem to put on the field. Um, and that, that presents that wild card obstacle, if you will, that wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily otherwise be there. Yeah. All right. Uh, Jarrett S at Jrod 19, not including Sanchez or smoke, which are interesting picks. How many future all-stars do you think are on the Jays roster or in the system?
0: Well, I mean, All-Stars Ken Giles could be an All-Star this season. Um but if you think about it like if you're talking about actually like guys that would be considered an All-Star caliber player, I think it's probably the starting pitchers, the two of them, Sanchez and and, and Stroman. And then, you know, you got a couple of high-ceiling guys in Bichette and Vlad, and Pearson. And the rest of them, I don't know if you you would say they're likely to be that. I mean, maybe I got like Kevin Smith or Eric Pardino becomes something all of a sudden, or Jordan Groshans, but it's really hard to predict how some of these farther away prospects are really going to develop.
1: I I'm still fascinated by the fact that development, even in a in a system that is now much better at development than I think it used to be, the Blue Jays uh, getting players from draft to you know to Triple A to the major leagues, it's just not a straight line in baseball it's full of ups and downs and changing levels and adjusting the competition that I, an incredible number of guys never realize the potential that everybody talks about on draft day.
0: Right, which is why I, I was saying, like, yeah, Pardini looked awesome in his debut, but he's, like, 18. Yeah. <laughs> or 17, I don't even know how old he's anymore. But he's really young and really far, so he could be great, but he could never make the major leagues. The the chasm is huge.
1: Yeah. No, I agree totally. I'm just still fascinated by that. That's you know consistent across all organizations. You know, some some are better at drafting and developing than others, but that there are very 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 few sure things like you know Stephen Strasburg, um, right out of the gate. Yeah. What do we got next?
0: Question from Rowdy Lucas at Split Letters: Will Vlad actually come up on Tuesday? (laughs)
1: Uh, I wish the question was should Vlad actually come up on Tuesday, don't you?
0: The answer would be he should be up now. <laughs>
1: yes. Um, I I wouldn't put it out of the realm of possibility. Despite that one percent thing, I I have a I I would put it more at the twenty percent. If if only you know that their their caveat was oh barring an injury, well, injury could happen any time. Would would anybody else get the call if a position player got injured? I'm hoping the answer is no.
0: Unless it's an outfielder, like I think that's the only way. Like if an outfielder gets hurt, it'll be Alfred. If it's anybody else, it's Guerrero. But I, I still, even, even given that, I think there's a chance that he'd be up just because. It's like what's there's no point. As we said, there's no point to keeping him down anymore. You want to believe, and I want to
1: believe. Let's all believe really hard, Josh. Done. All right, we believe it. <laughs> Uh we'll let you know how that worked out next podcast with the believing. <laughs> <laughs> um uh, are we uh, two more questions? No, no more. one more. Gavin Whitehead at OK Blue Jays 29. I have not seen an OK Blue Jays even hashtag for a while. That that's feels like a throwback. Gavin says, "I think Buckhole's four-seamer topped out around 88 yesterday. Will his lack of velocity become a concern when pitching against AL East teams who will see him pretty regularly?" Will this lack of velocity be an issue against um, all teams as the season progresses?
0: Yes. I mean, Buckles has been sort of dipping in velocity somewhat steadily over the last few years. Uh, he topped at 89.9 in this, you know, so far this season. But if you look at his max velocity the last few years, 96.86 in 2015, which he'd been around ninety-five-96 in the previous years, 95.46. and then 89.9 so far this season now he did not have a full proper spring training he he came back very quickly he made only i think one rehab start in the minors it's possible this could just be like he's building things up but velocity stabilizes pretty early and this is not encouraging
1: this is five miles an hour um he probably pitches like a guy and thinks about getting people out with those five miles an hour in mind not not like a guy who comes in throwing 88 so i totally see why i don't, I don't know
0: i don't know if i agree with that necessarily because he was throwing 90.8 on average last year i was just talking about peak velocity there which is only well it's still two and a half miles an hour harder than this but it was a drop from the previous so i think there could be some adjustment in you know, in his approach to pitching, he was pitching backwards a lot in in his last start. So, I don't know. I, I, he, he's not really throwing fastballs anymore that much. He threw, but between his two fastballs, 31%, and the rest was all off-speed stuff. So, I, I think that he could still be useful. I just think that his margin for error is so much smaller now.
1: And he'll get, uh, again, a fair number of chances to see what that is But uh yeah uh, things do not look fantastic For Clay Buckles mm-hmm. Okay Then we get to go to that part Where We ask the nice folks At Major League Baseball To maybe think about how they do things
0: Oops You said the quiet part loud And the loud part quiet
1: <laughs> But what if you could do it all over
0: again But what I really meant was
1: so there have been a couple suspensions handed out lately, yes? There have been. To pitchers, yes? There have been. How do we feel about those suspensions? Well, it was uh, Chris Archer and uh, Brad, Brad Keller. Keller. Uh yeah. both of whom got five-game suspensions. Did you want to go through the math of why a five-game suspension is a bit silly?
0: Do I need to? <laughs> it's, it's the dumbest thing ever, giving a starting pitcher a five-game sus- suspension. It literally means they miss... They have their start pushed back by a day. That's it. Like it's it's not even a punishment, and also they, I'm pretty sure they still get paid for suspensions for on field behavior, so it's not even a, a hit to their wallet. Yeah. So uh, it, it's it's toothless, and I, if baseball really cares about bean balls and guys throwing at guys, I mean, the Chris Archer one was especially insane because. So Derek Dietrich hit a home run off him and watched it and celebrated and you know and had a little bit of flair to it. Chris Archer is like Mr. Flair when he strikes people out. Like what are you doing? You you you, you can't take it but you give it out pretty much. And then yeah. and then 5 games. I mean it should be at minimum 11 games. So it's you know double that plus another day just so it's a little more strain on the other teams' bullpen uh, uh, rotation and you shouldn't get paid but that's it's CBA one. So just 11 games, at least miss two starts or miss a start.
1: And I think this is contrasted against uh, position player suspensions, which, I mean, because guys play every day on, as a position player, they'll get a one or a two or a three game suspension for being involved in a brawl or an on the field incident. And that guy is literally sitting out those three games. It's not a rest for, for him. Like, I don't know... I don't know why Major League Baseball comes up with a five-game suspension and goes, well, that's obviously a punishment. Like, These are baseball people. This is like Joe Torre. (laughs) I think they know how the rotation works. Where did this precedent come from, I even wonder?
0: Yeah, I, I don't really get it. It's... You know, it's it's like this idea that, that the, the numbers like, oh, it's enough to appease the, the casual fan or something. I don't really get it's like relief pitchers get the same thing. How does it's it's one thing if they said all oh, position players and pitchers are different. How are relief pitchers and starting pitchers the same?
1: Well, yeah, totally. I mean, a relief pitcher gets a five game suspension and he's, you know, a closer could miss four saves in a, in a five game suspension. Right. If there was a
0: rest day in between those or any reliever, it's like you're potentially missing three outings two or three if you're like a high leverage reliever yeah and the the starter misses nothing
1: it it doesn't make any sense at all um which i'm just mystified by and uh we would like them to change that uh perhaps perhaps the uh someone from the office of the commissioner would like to come down and explain it to us you know you know what even if they just came on and explained to to us the reasoning i wouldn't even require do over at this point i would just be so thrilled (laughs) Someone showed up on the podcast and be like, so this is why we do it this way. You suck. And we're gonna keep doing it this way. I'd be like, okay, but you came by,
0: you said hello. I'm good. Yeah, I'd actually love to hear an explanation for it, even if it's garbage. So I'm with you.
1: <laughs> All right, there's your do over. Uh if you work or know someone who works at the uh disciplinary arm of the uh, office of major league baseball, uh you know, just play on this segment and we'll uh we'll reach out or they can reach out. It's easy, simple, no problem. Yeah. Okay, so after that, extremely unlikely set of circumstances doesn't come to pass. I will ask you if you have a final thought for this week.
0: I do. Uh, One of the I love how we've talked about this, of course, before we've had guests on to talk about this. Baseball still insisting that the ball was not the issue
1: Mm
0: -hmm. with the increasing home runs. They added the major league ball to AAA this year. And guess what's happened? <laughs>
1: uh, I'm guessing that the home runs have spiked in, in AAA.
0: Congratulations. Oh, you my God. Right.
1: I'm psychic. I'm psychic.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Home runs have exploded in AAA. It, uh, it, it's like, you know, at some point, they have to acknowledge that this is causing problems in the game. Like, all of the issues that we're seeing when it comes to You know, rates of balls in play and the launch angle leading to all the shifts and the swings and misses. It started when they put this baseball in. You know, it coincided with the extreme ground ball rates before that. But those two things together, people got rewarded handsomely for doing this. And the baseball is the cause. Put it back.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you could go back. 90 years and see with the institution of the live ball era, how radically that changed everything about the game. And, you know, you got to figure that even a tweak that's 10% that size with a game that has this much money on the line and this many guys invested in, in playing it, you're going to have some really serious unforeseen consequences. Mm-hmm. I am going to talk about uh, something which uh, is in, Single A ball, so not tainted by the juiced ball. Uh, we're going to give a shout-out as my final thought to Ryan Gold, who is a catcher who was uh DHing for the Lansing Lugnuts this week. Uh, Thursday, he singled in the first inning. He had a 2-RBI triple in the third. He hit a grand slam in the sixth, and then he doubled in the eighth, driving in seven and hitting for the cycle. Ah... Uh, is all I have to <laughs> say. That is freaking fantastic. Uh, probably never going to have that great a day in baseball again. I'm sure other things in his life will be wonderful. But uh, wow, that's, that's a way to announce that you showed up in Lansing.
0: Yeah, Jesse Goldberg Strasser wants to name the, the cycle with a Grand Slam, like the Golden Cycle or something, and I'm for that.
1: Yeah, that'd be super cool. Even though it's a minor league thing, I think it's uh it's worth translating upwards. Cause it's
0: happened in the bigs.
1: Yeah, there there was only someone posted the list though, and I mean obviously there's That's, not a lot of cycles, but there was, was Jesse. <laughs> it was Jesse. Was it what like ten or twelve times it's ever happened in, in the majors?
0: Yeah, it was a low number.
1: Yeah. So you wouldn't have to use the term much.
0: Here it is. It's I mean it's like really rare. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine times. The last Nine. one was Benji Molina, which is just
1: weird when you think about it, because he if had to hit a triple. Hit a
0: triple, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that is to say, we are approaching the end of our podcast, and uh, you have been Josh Hausman at Joshua Hausman, and I have been Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead Twenty Ten, and this has been Artificial Artificial Turf Wars, episode number one hundred and thirty-eight, and we'll talk at you next week.